DEI test with Eric and Brady. We've got uh, another fabulous guest today. Uh, we're going to talk about sports from a little bit different perspective with me as a photographer, Brady as a writer. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Well, hello, this is, I'm, I'm Eric Francis. I'm a staff photographer at Hale Varsity Magazine, sitting here with Brady Oltman, staff writer at Hale Varsity Magazine. And this is the eye test for this week. And we have um, a guest I'm excited to have on personally. Um, admittedly, a slight little geek out moment for me, just because he comes from a generation that was um, very prominent when I was coming into my own as a, as a high school football player. So um, with us here today is Dave Remington from his his home in New York City, right? Or just outside of? I'm actually at the office today. Oh, okay. You're actually actually at the office working. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here with us today, Dave. Well, thank you, Eric Brady. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, something that popped into my mind last week while you all were in town and and uh i slightly feel a little bit of a dope moment for not thinking about this ahead of time and getting you in here in person but um glad you could make it with us today um like i said for me it, it was when you guys were in lincoln was were, the, were those formative years for me so i'm i'm really happy to have you here um but the other reason that that I, that I think this has interest for our podcast is I know that, um, that you had that, that, that you at least took up photography as a hobby post your, post your career. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 I, I, I thought it would be a great old man type of hobby to get into because it gets you off your butt and you're actually walking around doing stuff, keeps you creative because you see you kind of, uh, you you get to learn a lot about how to process uh, the different type of cameras. It's just a way to keep yourself uh, active and your mind awake. I mean, you're always you're always going after it and, and trying to improve. And uh, great, uh, you know, photography uh, photographer community out there. And it was great just to learn. I mean, guys, I got involved because of a guy named Trey. Uh, uh, Rat Ratcliffe from uh, he had uh, he was really instrumental in developing high dy- dynamic range photography, and uh, so I started get into landscapes, and uh, and I thought what a great way to get off get off the couch and move around a little bit as in in your old age. So I just you know took it up, and then I got involved in shooting a few football games. I would go down to Lincoln and stand on the sidelines, and and I'd look with envy about everybody out there who could get on their knees and take the shot because I couldn't bend my knees enough to do it. But, uh, I did the best I could stand it up. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I, I love everything about photography because you, when you travel as much as I do, it gives you an opportunity to, to remember where you've been and what you've done. And you can, you can capture these moments. And it kind of, uh, I, I think that it, it trained me to look, to always look for the best angle and the best way to, to put somebody or something in the best light. And it was just a great positive thing for me. Yeah. Wonderful. I, when I, uh, I, I took a look through some, some of your images and, and, and some of that stuff. And I couldn't help with one that stood out to me, um, was your images from burning man. Uh Um, and I'll be honest, the first thought that went through my mind was, okay, Dave 
a fellow SOB from South Omaha <laughs> and a and a football player at the University of Nebraska during the during some of the glory days does not initially strike me as a Burning Man kind of guy. How, how did that happen? Well, because I followed Trey Ratcliffe and I and uh, I I saw that the images he was getting from this place, and it's not the the hedonistic type of place you think. I mean, there is a lot of that garbage going on, but I went there for the sunrise sunsets and the, the art cars and all the images. You can go to one spot. There's interesting people, interesting uh, art installations out there. There must be a thousand different installations that people, you know, they've got sponsorship and they build these intricate things just to either burn them down or take them away at the end of the week. Uh, it's just a really interesting place to be. If you're a photographer, there's not a better place that I can think of uh, that. I mean, unless you're going to go into, you know, 10, 15 national parks to get so many, get that many shots and it's combination of people and things, art cars. And I'm telling you, you just, it's, and it's it's a weird experience too. Don't get me wrong, but it's the, it was the art uh, or the uh, photography that brought me there. And it's, you know, it it keeps me coming. I've been, I've been there like nine, this will be my ninth time if I go this year. So, I mean, I've been there quite a few times and I enjoy the heck out of it. It's uh, rough. Uh, you're in a desert environment for a week. Uh, sand, well, it's not really sand. It's more like dust storms, uh, right. uh, extreme heat. Uh, and, you know, if, if you want to get the shot in the morning, you're not going to be partying with the, with the young people at, at night. You let them go. But I, <laughs> I do enjoy those. I, I bring everybody I've ever brought there with me. They've had a heck of a time. They all want to come back. Yeah, I, I, I can see that because that's always been one of those kind of low-key uh, bucket list items for me because I've known other photographers who have gone as well, and they all tell pretty much the same thing that you're saying. It's like if you're a photographer, it's a, it's a, it's a visual bonanza is how it's been described to me, um, yeah, it, almost it's, it's, to an overwhelming point. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I, especially at night, you've got the two worlds of burning man. You've got the, during the day, it's pretty calm, but at night that's when all the freaks come out and it gets a little crazy out there. <laughs> There's so many strobe lights and music pumping and just, it's, it, it overwhelms the census and you can go in the, you know, set the things about eight miles across and you've got 70 or 80,000 people there and you can go into deep ply or the deep, uh, deep desert and you look back to the lights and it's just, it's like something you've never seen before. And, and it's almost like you're in another world. So I enjoy it and I don't do drugs or anything. So, but I, I do enjoy it. There's a lot of that stuff going on there though, if you're inclined for that, but I, I, <laughs> as big as I am, you don't want to be taking any of that stuff. You're not going to live that long. I'll tell you that. But, well, uh, I, I think, I, I think, uh, I think those years have, have left me in the past as well. So, but uh, to expand on that and you do, you do travel a lot. Uh And, um, I saw, or somebody, I think, I think Brandon mentioned it to me that you, you have dual citizenship somewhere. Yeah, I I have actually, I have uh, St. Kitts. Nevis, which uh, is a recent one, and I've got uh, UK citizenship because my mother was from UK, and of course I've got the US citizenship too. So I, awesome. I am uh, one thing you learn during the pandemic is 
having a U.S. passport doesn't necessarily mean you can travel anywhere because we were the first ones to get shut down from a lot of different places. So I just keep my options open. And so I, I, I end up uh, getting the St. Kitts and then the U.K. was pretty easy to get once you can find all the paperwork um, and not in, not too expensive. So I went for that. So that's an internet. That's an interesting strategy. I would have never thought about that, but I don't get to travel as much as I would like. I'm most of my traveling these days is yeah, you know, I mean, sitting there's, in there's hotel a, rooms with Brady here at, at, at football games in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's economic, uh, you know, way to look at it too. St. Kitts is a no tax place completely, but if you're in a U.S. citizen, you are going to get taxed the u.s rate you regardless of where you live you're going to get you have to pay u.s taxes but it it's an option that's always open to me if if uh things get nuts here so yeah well <laughs> that's a whole different road to go down yeah, I, would, I, know, I would love to go down that that rabbit hole with you one day over a few beers because that would be super interesting um i want to back up here just a little bit and it because I, I was thinking that there there might be a few kids in the audience that don't know why I wanted to have Dave Remington on this podcast. So Dave, if you could give a quick rundown of your, uh, of, of, of your history, basically. I'm from South Omaha. I know that you're, I'm also from South Omaha. So yeah, I, uh, well, I, I played football in Nebraska is probably what I'm known for in Nebraska more than anything. Uh And, uh, uh, you know, a decent student, uh, and a decent football player. And, um, you know, a decent traveler. I, I've learned as much as I can. And I think I, I've been curious about a lot of things and I just learned as much as I can. And, uh, so that's, that's basically my life. I just go and try different things and do different things and kind of enjoy it as much as I can. Why well, I can. Well, Dave, I got a quick question. Um, going back to photography a little bit, you mentioned um, getting into landscapes and and going to Burning Man and things like that. Are, is is there a preference and taking photos of football as well? Is there a preference on um, landscape or um, action photos or things that you like to do? And any more bucket list items you'd like to go to um, more than just Burning Man? Well, landscape is important to me because it, it, it's, you know, it's probably the, the most relevant thing if you want to get out, get off the couch. If, you, if you're an ex-football player and you retire early, it's, a, you know, that folk doing the landscape photography will get you off the couch, hike around a little bit, move around. And that was perfect for me. Um, I'm not real good with uh, like uh, some of the uh, like people photography. Uh, I, I don't like getting into people's faces. Like they, do, a lot of people in New York take photos of people. Just I just don't like that. I, I feel uncomfortable doing that because I don't really like people sticking a camera in my face. So I don't do that uh, too much. Um, but uh, I, I do like portrait. Um, Peter Hurley is one of the guys that I follow. I don't know if you guys know Peter. Uh, Peter Hurley, yeah, uh, great, talk about. Uh, you know, uh, portrait photographer. Um, I've kind of, I kind of dropped off from the photography thing the last few years because of the pandemic. I just didn't do a lot of traveling and I just decided, you know, I, I'd had some pretty good equipment and, uh, I just didn't like hauling it around. I used to take when I was, when I used to drive my bike to work, 
uh, here when I lived in New York City, I used to take my 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 camera with me everywhere I went. And I just found out that, you know, it just it just became a has kind of a hassle. So I would just bring my phone. And most of my photography recently is from my phone because it's always with me. And I could, you know, it, and the phone's becoming better. Mm-hmm. It's not ever going to be as good as a DSL, but it is better. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's just real convenient. So I've been doing more than, you know, and, and I've the processing is coming out of the phone now, which I really like. Uh, you know, I like I like Photoshop, uh, you know, and, and but uh, I just it's, it becomes a commitment if you're going to do that, if you want to do it right. But when you do when you have the phone, you can just do everything in, ca- in the phone and process it right there. And there's a lot of pretty decent uh, apps you can get that you can mm-hmm. you can process if you want. Just yeah. online. I've often threatened to uh, to do a uh, to teach a photography class just with cell phones because that's what everybody has, and the cameras even even my professional cameras are so good now that I literally could probably just put them all on automatic and let the camera make all the technical decisions, well, and yeah, and I would come out with with usable images that nobody would know that I let the camera do all the. All the, the crunch, when I first the started, crunch. I would try to do, you know, I, I I would always put the camera on auto at the beginning and take a few shots of it. So I know I got something in the can. And then I would just start playing around and trying to zero it in a little bit. But I always started, I, I, I put it on auto, get a landscape, get a, a, a portrait style. And then I would start playing around with it and, and trying to get it really zeroed in. But it, it always started off, let's get a shot that I can, that's usable for sure. And then I'll, I'll play around with it. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I was doing what I was supposed to be. And I did take a few <laughs> classes, but it's just, you know, some of this stuff is That's like, all, you got it. Yeah. You it's really a lot to take in. It. Yeah. So awesome. Um, I want to get back to, uh, I want to, I, I know in, in our, in our emails and texts setting this up that, you know, you said you're, you're pretty, pretty disconnected or un, un, unplugged into the Nebraska football scene right now. But you you got to have a little bit of interest, I would imagine, and and you see what's happening with Matt Rule. And he seems to be seems to be saying and doing the right things. And I was I was curious about um, about about your take on some of some of the the, the, the little bit that we can see from the outside. Well, since I was, the, you know, the interim athletic director for a short, short time there, uh, I first I say that uh, I think Trev is doing a great job as far as communicating. He seems to have the energy and uh, just the knowledge to do a great job, number one. Number two, uh, the new coach that we have, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's going to be better. I mean, re- really, it got to be pretty bad. And, I, you know, just watching the team uh, over the years, over the last five years, I've I really thought uh, Scott was going to be the guy that uh, was going to help turn the whole thing around, but it just—it's it, a monumental task to get it going in the right direction. Um, but once we do get the ship righted and, and in the right direction, I think we'll be—we'll be pretty good. But it's going to take some time to get it, and we've been patient. I mean, the, everybody has been patient, and uh, you know, I'm hoping that we can turn it around fairly quick. But I, I think that. You know, I thought I thought that with Scott that we were going to be able to turn around pretty quick, and it didn't happen. So I'm just going to reserve judgment. But I have 
you know, everything I've seen that uh, Coach Rule's done has been great. He's been able to pick up the pieces on recruiting and do a great job. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah, yeah, Dave, I wanted to ask you about that because um, you've kind of, since your your playing days have in, and playing in the NFL, you've kind of taken a step back from football and kind of left that um, where some guys get into coaching and, and kind of stick with it. You've, you've taken a little different approach. When you stepped in as interim athletic director, what what went into that decision and what's your relationship like still with the university, you know, even after leaving a very historic um, football career behind where your name is still on the stadium, but you've kind of walked away. Just what, what's that like? Well, I think I got a, a pretty good relationship with everybody. I've never tried to capitalize on what I've done in football in Nebraska. And a lot of guys do, they have, they have, they have their own businesses. I've moved on from that. It's not because I love Nebraska. Don't get me wrong, but I moved on because I had moved to New York and kind of did my own thing. And I was in Hong Kong before that and went to grad school in Madison, Wisconsin. So, I mean, I've done different things and then I've enjoyed success pretty much where I go. And, and, and I, but I've never tried to capitalize on what I did in Nebraska, in Nebraska, um, but I think it's a great one of the greatest places in the world. But I just, you know, for whatever reason, I have never come back and lived there. But, uh, you know, maybe one day, who knows? <laughs> so, but, my, but my relationship is good. And I, I just got, you know, just like everybody else, I think you, you, you put so much into it and, and, and you, you get so excited to watch the games on Saturday. And then it, it you know, it, regardless of how they start, it was like, okay, we did good. And you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop and you're going to go, okay, when is this thing going to fall apart? And you see one mistake and the whole thing starts falling apart. I'm like a regular fan. It's like, you want to see them succeed and you want to be positive when you talk to people about Nebraska football, but it became very difficult because things were just not going uh, to plan, you know? So, you know, I continue to support Nebraska and it's a great place. And I, I do think that they're going to, turn it we i should say are going to turn it around but it's you know it's it's pretty tough you know and i think that you know things have changed from you know i think the really the last time things were you know fairly good was like 2003 yeah. you know we're looking at 20 years of uh, of being lost in the woods here and we need to you know come out of it and get things mo- moving and there's been some uh success when uh bo was there but uh, you know it's the Osborne years have not come back. So, you know, I'm hoping that Coach Rule can get close. We'll see. Yeah, and to your point about things kind of changing, not only with just the the success that Nebraska football has had, um, the game itself has changed. And this new coaching staff, Matt Rule and Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator, and um, EJ Barthel, the running backs coach, they they pledged to run the ball more. And as an offensive lineman and as – of a former eight man offensive lineman here in Nebraska, there's a certain, there's just something about it, um, about being able to rely on success, running the ball for you as a successful former offensive lineman. What is it like to know that you're just going to line up and you can trust that you're going to get four yards, five yards of carry. What, what is that feeling like? 
Well, I think you spread the risk among everybody when you're a running football team. Uh, you know, when you when you have a, a throwing football team, you're really relying on the quarterback, number one. You've got to have a superior quarterback. And you've got to have receivers that can get open. But I don't care who you had back behind us. We were going to make three or four yards every play. I mean, and, you know, the only thing you had to worry about is penalties and, and fumbles. We were going to get a first down, and we just got to, you know – eventually we're going to break one and it's going to break the dam and we're going to have a bunch of points scored. Cause once you, you know, demoralize somebody and you start beating them up pretty soon, it takes a while, but pretty soon you're just getting, you know, you're gashing them pretty good with yardage. And I just like being part of, you know, when you're an offensive lineman in, in a passing team, it's really hard to really, I mean, you, you really, you know, there's not, it becomes difficult at times because the other team's just going to throw all kinds of blitzes at you and do everything. And all we had to worry about when we played is them loading the box. And when they loaded the box, we put guys like Irving Fryer or Jamie Williams and put them out there and they, they would make sure that they'd have to honor the, the, the past. But uh, it's kind of opposite of what we were back then. I mean, we, you know, now it's like spread everybody out and then try to, you know, find a spot they can cut back in and make a and, and it works for the most part. And that's every team. There's nobody like nobody's going to run the option anymore unless you're an academy, you know, a service academy. You're going to be Air Force or, or, or Army, which, you know, and I, I'd love that. But I don't think fans would go for it too much. And there wouldn't be a lot of pros going in, in the NFL from Nebraska if we ran that kind of offense. But, you know, it's effective. So what can you say? Yeah, as the as the the father, my 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 last son that I'm putting through high school here is a is living his life in the trenches right now and we talk a lot and i mean his favorite shirt right now that he wears until i make him take it off and wash it sometimes is <laughs> is that good old it just says run the damn ball on it because um well everybody there's, has there's, wants to run the ball well but i mean because for for linemen in particular that i'm thinking about there's a complete there's a complete, and you alluded to it just a few seconds ago. There's a completely different mindset between running the ball, like when you when you break the huddle and you come up to the line and you know, all right, this is run and play, right? There's a completely yeah. different mindset from pass pro, and, right. and 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 dig into that just a little bit for me. Well, when you're when you're running the football, it's you know you can be very very aggressive. Uh, and you can, and, and let, and if you're a passing team, it, you know, you try to be a, an aggressive pass pro guy, but the one thing, if you get too aggressive, you start leaning into people and you start ducking your head and you start getting beat fast. So you, you learn to give Brown a little bit, you know, uh, slowly and you just try to protect the quarterback and not try to punish the guy across from you. You, you're trying to, you know, hopefully prevent him from punishing the quarterback. That's your job. You're just going to try to build a wall in front of the quarterback. But when you're actually actively running the football, you are moving the line of scrimmage forward. And when you're passing the ball, you are, you know, you're giving ground grudgingly and you're going to have to, because you, if you, if you stay up at different levels, everybody's got to be at the same level when you're pass on, because if you don't, you have, you create lanes in there. So everybody's got to kind of be at the same level you're not going forward you're going back most of the time unless it's got a three-step three-step drop or something like that so you know it's just a different mindset it's hard to be really really aggressive 
when you're when you're doing a, when you're a pass pro offense you know there's guys who can do it but they're extremely talented i mean there's most guys who just gotta tone it down a little bit so they don't get beat fast right it's like right. ducking your head leaning forward is something you just can't do as a pass pro guy yeah and i, I i'm really big as i've gotten more years and gotten more experience from I talk to my son more about the intangibles in the game than, you know, I, I can take him out to Steve and his coaches at school to teach him technique and a lot of those things. I like to talk to him about the intangibles of the game. And you started to allude to that. When I go down this road, I, I like to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, just the, the a simple change in philosophy of being, being, being a dedicated, being more dedicated to, to being a run team and controlling the line of scrimmage and how that, and, and you just talked about how how it feels and what it does for an offensive lineman's psyche, but also how that bleeds in bleeds over to the rest of the team. Um, when you know you're controlling the, the trenches, how even the wideouts block a little bit better, when mm-hmm. the running backs block a little bit better, when when that mentality comes from the inside out. Well, yeah, I, I think that every coach I've ever played for has the intention to run the football. But if you don't do get positive yardage in the first three or four plays, they quickly will say, I got to change. We got to we got to we're going to throw. Uh, but when you do get that line of scrimmage moving and you can see the whole tide of the game turning when you're an offensive lineman, you can feel it that you are making, you know, you're, you're getting bigger chunks instead of one or two yards. Now you're getting four or five. And then every once in a while you hit the perimeter, you get somebody who's like a Michael Regier, like had a, when we played or, or Roger Craig and, the, and it had those guys in the same backfield. I mean, that, that's how good that, that we, the personnel we had back in that day. Um, and they could take it to the house anytime, you know? So, and, and if you get a team that's going to load the box, you know, I always said, if you load the box, well, you know, then we then we'll throw the football on you. We're not dumb. We're not going to just, you know, if you've got extra people and we can't block them, we're going to make sure you pay on the on the perimeter with our receivers. Yeah. But first, you got to get, you know, it was like a it was like a a boxing match almost. You got body blows, body blows. You get them. You run a few traps. You get them trying to pinch in a little bit to stop that. Hit them in the perimeter outside. You get big gas, you know, big gas yards right from the perimeter. Uh, and then when they really are confused, you throw the ball every once in a while just to keep everybody honest. But I mean, th- there's, you know, and it takes maybe a quarter to get them, the other team, they, they know that they're going to get beat. They just don't know how bad it's going to be. Yeah. And they, but it takes a while to get to that point. It just doesn't happen like that. Cause these guys are pretty good players back when, back when I played, uh, you know, we had a, uh, a weight room and, and we had a, you know, the strength coach and a lot of teams really didn't have that. Everything is even now. Everybody is on TV. Everybody's got money to, to, you know, and, and they better have money with this new program uh, that's going on right now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that's almost criminal what they're doing with that. Thing. I'm like, geez, it's like, I mean, I like to see that players make money. Uh, but you know, my, my hope was that a player would come to Nebraska he would, you know, fall in love with Nebraska. Uh, he would, you know, be an important part of the community. He was a good football player, and people would reward him with, you know, hey, you want to, you know, 
spot you, you want to uh, be part of my product and you can push it or whatever and make some money that way it's not like okay we got a guy in a transfer portal he's not going to come here unless he makes 50 60 70 80 100 grand i mean that was not i don't think that was the intention you know it, it's a pendulum and right now the players are pretty much running rush or rush out over everybody i mean they're just it's like a it's it's a pro football th- operation right now yeah, kind of feels like a minor leagues of the pros at the moment. Yeah, it's, some of it, some of the money is not minor league anymore. They're making that's so true. That's true. I mean, back when I played, you they took a ham sandwich, they put you on probation for a year. I mean, it, <laughs> it really turned. I mean, really turned. Yeah. Well, and uh, one question I kind of am curious about because this is something I dive into talking with um, coaches, strength and conditioning guys. As you look at the current college football player either you know at nebraska now or in the national championship game you look at these offensive linemen they look different you know than the ones that you went up against or played alongside back in your time what is your impression as you look at the offensive lines now in college football they're most of them are monsters i mean they're all six foot six six foot seven the height is a lot greater now than it was before the measurables of the length of arms the, the, the size of the hands have become like i mean they measure everything so it's like uh, back when i played it was and i still think it's some degree that you you need to have the heart to play this game you need to be able to stick your nose in there and not be afraid and go ahead and get after it uh but you don't even get a sniff unless you've got the measurables to to start with if you're a guy you know i'm six one whatever and i'm you know it, i don't even think i'd get a look anymore that uh and, and that's unfortunate because there's a lot of guys who can play football and in, you know depending on where you play on the offensive line you can still get away with being a short guy and at at center position because the guy you're going against is two inches away from you so it's not like it's like you're playing in a phone booth and you don't need to have you know six foot arms whatever to to do this it just you you got to have the, the mentality and the and the ability to to really read a read a defense and get people in the right position because you're you know at, at that position you you are you're the one that's the quarterback of the offensive line you're the one starting the calls from the inside out and that's where your strength is you know and if you can move a guy that's even better you know and so yeah Awesome. Did you have anything else, Brady? I think those are really the only I questions I had written down. Check my notes and make sure I'm not missing anything. That was that's pretty much everything that I had there, Dave. I, I will relay a story that I that I that I saw last that made me laugh coming up to this interview. It was either last week or the week before somebody had put out a poll on the best fullback in Nebraska history. And I was watching all these votes come in for, you know, Schlesinger and the Maccavica boys and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And and it just made me pipe in to say, all you children need to <laughs> shush. Because unless your poll begins and ends with Tom Rathman. I was going to say, I was like, you didn't mention Rathman. I I, said, and, and, <laughs> I, and, I went, and I went through and I came back to it a couple times to see if somebody, I'm like, either either all of you are just way too young or you don't know what you're talking about. Because in my mind... That that poll begins and ends with Tom because he was the reason I wanted to play fullback in high in in high school yeah. when well, I was playing. Nebraska, Nebraska had the prototype, like it's a tough, hard running fullback that maybe we had a guy named Shalene that was pretty yeah. pretty 
fast and strong too. I mean, it was always like the hard headed guys who were not going to quit. You're going to just like, like pit bulls, you know, they were just going to go after you. And that's what the Nebraska fullback really was about. They could, they could uh, pass block, uh, you know, pick up blitzes and stuff and, and make, you know, run like heck on that inside trap that we used to run back when I played the biggest difference I seen between what I, what we did and what they, what they're doing now is they run right now, they run to daylight. So you get everybody it's going, if they're going horizontal, you see a lot of movement, they're going right or left. When I played, you know, a two hole was a two. They're going to just blast it in there. And there was no reading of anything. It was just bam. Uh, it was quick and it, you know, hard hitting, quick hitting play anymore. Everything is kind of run and then run to daylight and it's effective. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, there's a place in football for a quick hitting trap and you don't see it very much anymore. You know, you just don't see it. Actually, I could have sworn I saw one this weekend. Maybe it just looked like it. I, oh I no, that was that was somebody who was somebody ran a fullback dive yesterday. Yeah, I think it was the was it the Bengals? Somebody ran a fullback dive and got up in like to the three. Of course, it was you know red zone situation, so you're kind of hoping to catch them a little spread out or something because they're expecting right. on the edges anymore. It's a, a right. goal yeah. line fade or something. But I personally, I personally get excited. Red zone I see and goal line is where you see the biggest difference. Back when I played and what you know it. it in that era, even in pro football, they ran the ball quickly and hard at the thing anymore. It's still, they're still trying to, you know, run horizontally and find a, a, a seam to hit, uh, even in the goal line. And so, and he, back when I played, the quarterback was under center and goal line and short yardage. Now you got them in a shotgun. And as a center, that creates a lot of problems because it's really hard to fire off the ball when you're in a shotgun. You really have to go the, you know, the horizontal route because, it's just really tough to be able to snap the football and get any kind of forward lean into the ball. You know, when I played, it was a four-point stance. You just don't see that anymore, even in goal, goal line to short yardage. Yeah, well, as I, and as I, you mentioned that, I kind of, I do have a quick question I want to, you know, throw at you. Um, one thing that Matt Rule has talked about and um, Donovan Rayola talked about and even Marcus Satterfield talked about, not only does do you have an offensive line coach now, but with this new setup, Matt Rule coach was an assistant offensive line coach at the New York Giants, Satterfield assistant offensive line coach at the Carolina Panthers um, shortly before. For you, if you were put yourself in the position of an offensive lineman now, how much more comfortable is it knowing your head coach and your offensive coordinator all have coaching experience on the offensive line to maybe put you in a, a better position to be more successful in that position? I, well, I, there's still only, you know, Donovan's going to be the man, but they have guys around him that understand, you know, what they're trying to do and how they're going to try to do it. Uh, it's, you, you can't, you, when you have an uh, offense or a head coach who has offensive line experience, you, you know, there's no way you can fool them. They're, you're going to have to perform and, and they'll be able to tell really quick, you know, who should be out there and who should, you know. You, you know, you've got more people looking at you. It, it's I, I think everything I think is going to work out just fine. I, I mean, I'd like it. I, the more you know, we had two offensive line coaches when I played at Nebraska. We had Milt Tenniper and Cletus Fisher. So one guy took inside and, and, and Milt would take the tackles and tight ends and and, and Cleet would take the inside people, uh, you know, and it seemed to work out pretty good. I just don't you know, 
way they pay coaches anymore. I don't know if they can afford it. (laughs) No, I just, I wanted to ask because I know that's one thing uh, Marcus Satterfield said was, you know, he was coaching quarterbacks and receivers before and now having coached, you know, linemen directly, he said, I think there were plays where I didn't put them in the right position to be successful because he didn't even consider, you know, what linemen had to do. And now he thinks he's a little bit better positioned to make sure the offensive line can be successful so the rest of the team can be successful. So I, I was just curious what you would think about that. Yeah, you know, when I when I played at Nebraska, we had, you know, great offensive line coaches. I, I never even give any thought to quarter, that the head coach would really know. I, I played for Buddy Ryan, who knew nothing about offensive line play at all. You know, and, and, and Sam Weich was a quarterback's coach pretty much. Uh, when I was with the Bengals and, you know, and coach Osborne was a, a pretty much an offensive coordinator, quarterback coach type of guy. Uh, but, you know, so I always just relied on what my coach said and hopefully, you know, they, the, the one thing that sometimes we got in a position where they would put plays in when I was Bengals and I, they didn't, they didn't tell the offensive line, like they had one player in particular, they put a quarterback at wide receiver, wide receiver, quarterback, and they forgot to tell the, the the player, me, that I was going to snap the ball to a wide receiver. I'm looking back there and I'm like, oh man, this is, this ain't right. But, uh, you know, you learn to deal with it, you know, especially when I had Sam as a coach, you kind of, whatever was dealt to you, you just dealt with it and went on. But it was like kind of strange stuff going on sometimes. Awesome. Those are all, those are all great stories. Well, thanks for coming on with us today, Dave. Thank you. I appreciate it. Maybe we can, uh, Maybe we'll have a little more forethought next year when you're in town to actually get you in here the studio and have another conversation. Sounds great, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Well, have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was a good conversation with Dave. Um, Yeah. We move on to the next part of our podcast now. Do you you want to talk pictures? Let's talk pictures. Let's talk some pictures. All right. You had a thought. I did. I did. I just kind of the it, it kind of popped into my brain a little bit as I was watching football this last weekend, and now because we've we've talked about it before, shooting in the elements, the snow looked really pretty and everything like that. And we've talked about kind of getting prepared for that, or and how do you shoot in the snow, things like that. I'm very curious. Is there a certain do you go in thinking that you're going, you're looking for X shot or Y shot, or do you just kind of absorb things and plan it out maybe five minutes ahead of time, or maybe you're just planning two steps in, ahead? Do you mean in general or when I have like extreme weather? Um, in, in general or either or. Um, that, that, that's going to vary over the course of a season because Every year as we transition, you know, football, volleyball, basketball, the first few games, um, you kinda, you're kind of like getting your feet wet and getting your timing back again. Yeah. Um, just like the athletes would. Like this year, um, I actually went to, I, I went to a lot of high school, a, a few high school games at the beginning of the season. Um, I also had the advantage of shooting my, my son's games, right. so I got extra games. It, they're equivalent to game reps, For right? Sure. Yeah. And so, at the beginning of the seasons, I'm not. I'm just getting my timing back and getting in the flow of the the 
any, you know, whether it's football or, or volleyball in the fall, getting back in the flow. And then as the season starts to go along and you find yourself starting to make the same picture, mm-hmm. um, it's, I don't want to say you get a little bored, but you get a little bored. Yeah. Making the same picture from the same pot. So you start looking at, at, at different things. So sometimes I'll go into a game looking for an opportunity to make a certain picture is the way I'll say it. Cause I do have, I've always got a couple things in my mind, like, okay, if this situation arises, I'm going to try to make this particular picture, whether it's a low angle thing from the end zone or, or some blowout game. And I'm going to spend 20 minutes making blurry pictures on purpose yeah. or, um, or like, you know, early in the season when we have, have evening games, if it looks like we're going to have a nice sunset, yeah, I'll leave the field and go up to my favorite spot in the last seat of the stadium in East stadium and just wait for the sunset yeah, to make, to make that picture. And sometimes it works and some, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's okay. I think the last great one I made was probably four years ago. Really? Sunset picture. Yeah. Cause it, everything's got to, come into alignment at the perfect time here right i mean you can you because we the, the ironic thing is when you're down in the in the in the bowl mm-hmm. i can't i can get i can kind of guess if it's going to be a nice sunset that's true because actually you know clear skies are not the best sunsets having yeah. a few clouds to the light to bounce around out saying i can't see that from the field level so i yeah. kind of have to make an educated guess because it's gonna i'm gonna by the time i go up there spend a little time making that picture, I'm going to probably pretty much miss an entire quarter of football. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I was to a similar point. I was kind of thinking oh, I was walking the dog last night, um, but, you know, cause I'm, I just finished another book. So I just got started in about the first 70 pages of another one. And I like the writing style. And I like the prose and I'm just kind of bouncing around. I like reading different books from all different, all over the place to, you know, always something, a tool to add to the chest. And there's just a couple of things, and it was more sky-oriented. They were, like, implementing sky terminology or idioms and things like that. And I just kind of, like, walk on Archie. I'm like, now bounce around. How? What are the different ways that you could – because I'm – and we've talked about this. I love adding the external environment to games. I, people know the game story. They've they watched it. They read – they give them a reason to read the game stories. And I love adding the environment around them, either, you know, the – quote-unquote politics of the program or the situation grander scheme uh, season in general behind mm-hmm. it or just the simple day what's going on what's the you know what does it look like what does it look like to the, the fans in the, the stands what does it look like and I because then I thought on a night game on the very first night game of the season what's it going to look like if you are I don't even want to say Matt Rule if you are just a new arrival at Nebraska never been there before entire filled stadium because of all the excitement for it what's it going to look like when those lights go down before the fourth quarter and you look up and light pollution won't do you know won't do it justice but if you can see a couple of stars and then everything lights up in the middle of lincoln nebraska what's that feel like Hmm. what's that what's that experience like for them you know because they've come in and they've gotten official visits they've seen the thing they've seen the videos they've come in and had their moment but there's no to your point about game reps there's no replicating what it's like to run through that tunnel in those gates at Memorial Stadium in your Husker. Mm-mm. I just I'm I, I thought what is that feeling like? 
I don't know what that feeling's like. <laughs> oh, I've never not? gotten to have that feeling. <laughs> but there is, I and I say it every year, um, and some of us who have been doing it for a while, we, we usually at least mention it in passing every year. That first game, that first that first tunnel walk. Yeah. The especially if especially if it's an evening game, which it rarely the first game rarely is, but if it was, that that even I you know, like I said, I've been covering the Huskers for nearly thirty years and it's still it's still exciting. Yeah. When you hear the tunnel walk music and <laughs> the energy in the stadium, you still get hyped up for it. Yeah, uh, and it's it it never, it's granted it's not as as geeky excitement as it was in the very beginning of my career, but you still get excited and you're still ready to go and you're still a little hyped up. Yeah, well, and I I laugh I chuckled just then because um, the last couple of times we've gone to the stadium to write for you know coordinator or coach availability they've had the tunnel walk song on repeat for hours and hours so we're up there typing you know right. for an hour and a half and it's just that song on repeat so it's like you know I've I've heard it a couple of times recently but you're right even as a even as a writer and even as someone who might have experienced it as a kid and and as a student as a writer, you sit up there and it, you're not unmoved by it because it is 80,000 people just together unified for one purpose and one, you know, mm-hmm. cheertacular experience. Um, and it is worth um, the, the home opener this year. They obviously don't, they don't have times announced yet, but it will be Louisiana tech. Nebraska will have played two games by then uh, opening at Minnesota. And then, uh, and then obviously going to at Colorado, which should be, both of those should be very, uh, interesting experiences for multiple different reasons. Obviously, a home opener, a conference opener against Minnesota and PJ Fleck, who seems to be um, kind of a—I don't want to say a kryptonite, but obviously a, a team that Nebraska would very much like to beat. Yes. Um, and then obviously Colorado, a team that very much, very, very, very much. Nebraska, Nebraska's very excited to so to, for that game on multi levels. So that leaves Louisiana Tech, which Nebraska's played before in a non-conference. Um, I guess, but that I guess that decades ago now, but has played before in a non-conference context and without much fanfare. But it is the home opener, and it is the first time mm-hmm. that fans will get to see that, and it'll be the first a completely new tunnel walk. And by completely new, I mean because of the new um, the Go Big project and everything like mm-hmm. that. They won't. I'm I'm in talks trying to figure out logistically how this will work. But it's going to be a different path that they take because they won't be coming from that same locker room. They'll be coming from a different path. So it will be a new experience um, under a new coaching staff for, I mean, everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it'll be the same song. It'll be the same clap. It'll be but some of the logistics. But some of the logistics will be different. The video package will be different. It's that same thing where it's it's clear. It's kind of interesting because it, it will be truly symbolic of a new era and a new step forward in a different idea of Nebraska football. But at the end of the day, you've still got the sea of red. You've still got those pillars. You've still got the same statues there, mm-hmm. the same foundation. They're going to be working with that same foundation, but also just with the new modernized or a new step forward into how they're doing things. But at, at its base, it's the energy in the stadium. For sure. Right? You can have all the hoopla and the video and the tunnel walk, but it's the energy that that stadium produces that – is I don't want to say unrivaled in college football, but there are very few there are very few colleagues on that same level of yeah. energy in the stadium 
in for those situations. You know, as I, as you were talking about it earlier, you know, I was thinking about, and I think I've told you about it before. You know, when you're on the sidelines, the energy is different on the sidelines than being in the stands. Yes, because in the side, when, even when I'm on the sidelines shooting a game you have nearly 90,000 people whose energy is directed towards that piece of turf. And so you actually, you feel that energy. It vibrates in your body. Yeah. And you learn as you go through your career, you learn just like an athlete, you learn to have to focus through that energy. And in a strange way, it, it helps you focus because you have to push through that energy it helps you get ultra focused. And I had never really even considered that until the pandemic. Yeah. We played that season in 2020 with nobody in the stands. And I personally had a hard time focusing. It's jarring. It was, it was jarring. It was, I had a hard time staying focused, being in, into it. It didn't feel like a real game. And and I wasn't overly impressed with any pictures I made that year because I and then and I realized as I started going through that that holy crap, I missed the ninety thousand. Yeah. That I, that that energy helps me get ultra focused. It's it's one of the things that I learned about myself over the years that um I get like a couple of people have mentioned it over years that like the bigger the stakes the better my pictures get. Yeah. And I started to realize that about myself in 2020 as I was realizing I needed that energy to get me ultra focused, right? If it, if the game didn't really matter much, like it's really hard to think that, you know, a football game late in November for a three win football team matters. It's hard to get ultra focused about that, but the more things mattered and the more that energy and that vibration of the stadium was permeating my body, I actually perform better in those moments than I do in the moments that nobody cares, which is kind of strange. No, well, and to your point, I feel the same way about myself when writing, because if there's a, obviously if there's a big player, something worthy of writing about, you know, you know, the words just flow, things just pop from you. But when there's such a vibrancy to it, you just you find the thing, you find the lead, you find the the pop moment to lead with, and then everything else just flows into place. I mean, you're just running water at that point. Mm-hmm. It's there is something about that electricity and that energy that it can't help but be contagious. You know what I mean? Like it's just it is, and yeah, I. It's really cool that we've got that back now after the pandemic because just as a universal human to human connections, I think that's something that we've all that we all kind of missed in that interim and now it's going to be interesting to see what it's like again, but it it'll be the same in the sense of like it's still it's still energy. Yeah, the energy is going to be the same. But it's it's just going to be cool to see it go into a new era and what's it look like. Yeah, do the do the what if. They come back for their their season opener 2 and 0. You, that it's that it might be as and there are very few examples of the loudest i've ever heard memorial stadium but that's going to be close that to put it in because i'm i I do comparisons in my head as like little exercises and things by nature 
you compare that to the situation of the, the opener with Scott Frost and that game got canceled because right. of that storm. What's it like then when you're staring, you beat two teams that have a lot of hype around them mm-hmm. for this upcoming season for different reasons, but different expectations. And then you come in thinking this is three and oh, is in sight. Halfway to a bowl game is in sight beating or matching the win total of, you know, three of the last four seasons in the first three games. Would be insane. And the and welcome Matt Rule. Welcome this coaching staff. Welcome these recruits who have never seen, or some of them had never seen, a welcome, Husker home game. Welcome expectations that you were trying to downplay all yeah. for the last year. Because well, the Husker fan is going to send them through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that that is... It is a fun what if to think about because I think when you think about Husker football, that's what it used to be. And going back to our conversation with Dave, that's the environment he played in. Yeah. And that's that was the standard. And the fan, the sellouts, the, the tickets sold is still the the standard because it is the streak. But again, to our our ongoing conversation of not all 28-9 games are built the same, not all 85,000 tickets sold are the same. No, well, it certainly didn't look like that. The that second that last home game of the season. Yeah, well, and that well that the official ticket scanned was about fifty percent of sold, but and I will give people a pass because it was brutally cold that game. It was brutally but, cold, and it was a three win. It was a three win team, and but, it was brutally freaking cold. But I mean, if you twenty years ago, no, it would have been packed. It would have been packed. Yeah, it would have been totally packed, and it would, well, it would twenty years ago it wouldn't have been a three win team. No, I when I went back for Christmas, I found in my fam or looking through photo albums um, a picture of me and my best friend growing up, and we went to the um, Nebraska Colorado game. Ninety eight, I want to say that was nineteen ninety eight, the year that we went that year, and it was because what year was that with um, Endorf's kick? It would it would it would have been that year. I think that was ninety eight. Or was that? I don't know. That Am I mixing escaping. my days up? I that mean, one, that's, that, one, that one's escaping me. Because it, it was because it was close. Colorado was looked prime in good position, and then Endorf kicked that that field goal and and won it. And we watched him win on a last second field goal, which was really cool. But I, for, of course, now <laughs> this is over twenty five years ago now, which I can't believe I'm saying out loud. But the, this it was also brutally cold that day. But I can tell you what. Even as you hear t- season ticket holders ask, what's the loss going to be today kind of thing, right. they were still in their seats by that kick. I mean, people stayed. Yep. And people will stay again. No, they they absolutely will, and I, I believe that too. Did you, um, or did we just touch, did we just unknowingly do your thought experiment of the, or did you have one? I kind of had one. Uh, the, the thought experiment I had is more um, logistically, if you put yourself in the position of all these new facilities and all um, upgrades, it's it's an arms race to spend to spend all this money that you technically can't have, um, or at least on the books you can't keep it; it doesn't carry over. Um, thought experiment is because they've got the new Go Big project, some of which private donors, uh, they'll have phase two, which they haven't started yet, and I don't think they've secured the entire funding for, but th- it is planned out in case and when in fact they do get that funding 
just it's not really a thought experiment as much as a general question of what is and now with this upcoming season being the 100th anniversary of Memorial Stadium what is the next thing what is or even pleasurably what is the next thing that you want to see done in terms of renovations or in terms of the next big project at Nebraska Athletics I have given zero thought to that ever because I don't ever really think that much about facilities. Because they're, I mean, they are, to Dave's point, they've, Nebraska had the best for a long time. Well, I mean, they're due for, they're due for an update and getting on par with everybody else because they've been, they've been behind for a while. Now everybody has the quote unquote, the best in some sort of area. Everybody has great facilities now, which is why. I don't I I think facilities as a you know if you're talking about as it pertains to to recruiting I think facilities are more like a basic expectation. Yeah. Right? Like everybody's got facilities. I mean, so you could argue that that was part of that was maybe hurting Nebraska a little bit in recruiting because they didn't have great facilities. Freaking Northwestern's, Northwestern's got great facilities. It's a beautiful facility. Over right? There. I mean, yeah. what the hell, Nebraska? And so I think having great facilities is just like a baseline expectation. I don't think you're swaying a lot of recruits with it. But I think it's, it's like I said, it's a baseline thing, and it's still going to come down to the coaches and the product on the field and whether or not you can do – like what Matt and his staff are seem to be doing a good job of right now, which is, which is spelling out for a kid. Th- this is where we see you, and this is the plan. Yeah. If you like that plan, come on over. Yeah. And if you, and if that plan doesn't work for you, okay, we'll you know, good luck. Yeah. Well, and I know that there will be some people that might be upset about. Well, you don't need big, bright facilities or anything. You just need a weight room, some free weights. Is what you need. Yeah. No, that doesn't. They're, 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 the world has changed. Look that, at the high school facilities. Some of these kids, they're not going to go to a college if their high school facilities are just as good. You know, uh-huh. they want to go. You to, some of these, like these Texas schools. <laughs> it's a, even some of the ones in Omaha now. Because granted, I came up from you know. South Central Nebraska, where we only had the weight room and the free weights and things like that. We didn't have, looking at some of these Omaha facilities, you're like, wow, Uh wow, what is going on? And then, obviously, yeah, you put in the context of some of these southern schools, the Texas schools, where it is just a different breed. And you are basically a junior college or a college developmental facility. It's, It's really impressive. And these kids... I I think some of them, not to generalize, I think some of them do get turned off to a college if they say, well, I had these facilities when I was in high school. Why would I go here to just have the same thing that I've had kind of thing? I, that's, but then again, I've also seen all the, you know, the videos of the tours from all the different facilities and mm-hmm. what all the different schools across the country have. And it's like, some of them are lavish and well beyond my means, but also I'm, I'm not part of the team that just helped them get a billion dollar TV contract. So what do I know? <laughs> well, you know, those, those kids that are really, that would really be turned off, like to the point of not coming to say Nebraska, that would be turned off by facilities. Those kids are go to Colorado and be with coach prime. Well, those are not, those are not the, the, 
I don't see, I don't see Matt losing sleep over that kid because that wasn't going to be if that if that's part of the reasoning that wasn't your kid anyways. Yeah, well, and to the to that point, I think what's been, what's become abundantly clear, and I don't think to put it to bed, I don't think Nebraska having talked with some of these recruits, I don't think Nebraska lost a kid because it wasn't quote unquote paying them enough money. No, I I don't think that that. That hasn't existed yet. Nobody's going to say, well, I was going to go to Nebraska, but X, Y, or Z school offered me $10,000 I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's part of the equation, but, but it's not the, probably, not, probably not the deciding factor because when push comes to shove, kids want to play and they want a chance to win. If you can give them those two things, you're going to get them. You're going to get more than you lose. And that's what Matt Rule said he wants to bring guys in who it's not about the NIL money. If you perform here well, it'll you know become mm-hmm. a factor in it. Obviously, they'll have top-tier facilities and everything going up, which kids and recruits who have visited are excited about. That stuff falls into place. If a kid is coming or potentially coming to Nebraska solely based on those things, that's not a kid that they are really all that interested in um, in maintaining in the program. Yep, they, they wouldn't fit anyways. All right, I want to get to the last thing, which we're going to start. We're going to start trying out and see if we can we can settle this into a more regular thing in the program. I'm for a loose working title right now. I'm going to call it the X's and O's of photography. Yeah, um, it's where I'm going to try and offer a little tip every week. And I was thinking about it this week, and it kind of dovetailed a little bit on what what Dave was talking about with carrying around his cell phone and stuff. And since, you know, a lot of the staff, a lot of you staff people at the at the magazine wind up doing just social media pictures and videos with your cell phones, yeah. I thought I would I would start with that because even I do it sometimes. Like, uh, you know, I'll go to a basketball game and I'll say, hey, can you send me a picture, you know, a pregame picture? I'll literally just grab my cell phone yeah, because I can take it. Send it w- off. Work it real quick and send it right to her within a matter of seconds rather than doing it on my camera, going back to my computer and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, it, and it, and it's just another camera. So the, 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 the same things apply, right? Light moment composition. Um, so try to, try to work those, be cognizant and mindful of the, those things when you're putting together a photo, you know, try to find a, trying to try and find a moment if you can. Personally, uh, I, the, the moment is the usually the key thing for me, but light, try and find some good, some interesting light or an angle that accentuates it. And then nice, tight, clean composition, get composition to me in, in its, in its base form. And as it would help apply to you guys is be mindful of your backgrounds. Yep. What's in the background. Cause we, we tend to get, we tend to get distracted with what's in the foreground and we don't think about the backgrounds because the background is also part of your composition. Okay. It can be a crucial part of your composition. Um, be mindful of the, the backgrounds and how all that plays together. Yeah. No, that, cause that is one thing I, I lit up when you say that, because that's one thing I notice when at some of these camps or, at places where it's just like maybe I would like to have a photo or like on the sidelines when recruits visit or something mm-hmm. like that, just throw it on social media, something that, you know, fans would care about, but I don't want to, there's so many things going on. It's just easy to, to have, you know, just to have. And don't forget that you're one thing that people forget the most often. I think with their cell phone is don't forget that your cell phone can zoom in. Yes. 
don't have to shoot at anything. Everything's super freaking wide. So you, I can't see what's going on. You can actually <laughs> zoom in a little bit <laughs> and use that feature. Especially now if you got the cool, you know, the camera like mine with the three lenses. Oh, it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's and each yeah, I don't know, man. It just they pop each the in the light and the way that yeah, I love I love my new phone. It just oh. Yeah, it's not the camera, it's the photographer. But we'll keep working on you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, w- w- with that, uh, we'll end this week of the eye test with Eric Francis and Brady, Hill Varsity staffers. Thanks for coming in. And don't forget to hit the uh, subscribe and like button so that you get the notifications when, when we drop a new one. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks. Heard at Sports Network Production.